welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Bet Arrivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, the draft previews continue with this week's edition, The Tackles. Week three of almost never leaving the house, and I certainly want to buy some stock in L.L. Bean. And with me this week to model the new Atlanta Falcons uniform all over his Insta, it's David Newman. I'm the one that looks like I'm wearing the incredibly high-waisted pants up to my armpits. That's that's me right there. Did did the world learn nothing from like the 90s era Broncos uniform? I feel like that uniform when they changed the dark blues and the stripe down the side that tried to connect the armpit to the knee pit. It just that everyone should have learned this is not the move. And yet you see teams repeatedly do it over and over and over again. The Falcons are just the latest culprit. I feel like uh, Robert Mays from The Ringer had the best point about all of these new uniforms. And it's like the initial test that you need to be able to pass with, like, are these new uniforms a good idea is, do these look like something a middle schooler designed on a creative team in Madden? If the answer could possibly be yes, then you need to go another direction. It is, it is wrong. That is bad. Do not do it. It's bad. I feel like no one who designs these uniforms has ever tried to watch an all 22 and try to track the numbers because they would be so much nicer to us if they did. But instead, they're going to give us like no definition between number and jersey or like with the extra the extra serif on there. And you're like, I, I don't know if that's a two or a zero or a six. God help me. And there's like a bullshit wannabe drop shadow on there, which is, again, never oh, a good idea. Never, um, never a good idea. It's just like, yeah, at least I appreciated that about the the, the Bucks new uniforms, right? Is it yeah. nice big numbers, high contrast between jersey number and jersey color. Like, that's all I ask for at this point. Yeah. It's just like, you know what? Forget the last, like, five years of jerseys ever existed. Let's just go back to Mike Allstott. This will be great. <laughs> uh, all right. So this week, we talked about it in the open. We're going to be talking about tackles. It's going to be an all-tackle episode. But before we get to that, let's talk about a new development We've officially launched our Patreon. It's something that we have been thinking about doing for a bit, and we decided to jump in headfirst. Uh, so why the hell not? We, f- we figured now now would be the time. What the hell is a Patreon for those that don't know? Uh, Patreon's basically, you know, it comes from the old word patron, right? Where we are going to put up some exclusive content and some stuff that's specific to the Better Rivals community and the people who've been listening for a long time and want to continue to support us. Um, and we're going to do so in a space that's going to be kind of uniquely ours. And that's what we want the Patreon to be. So we'll dive into things that we can't dive into on the hour-long pod. Things like video analysis of our favorite players, Q&As, some non-football stuff like Whiskey Talk, Daddington Corner, now that we're in week 30 and 31 of pregnancy, respectively, um, or anything else that I know. It's that that close, dude. It's that close. I know. Uh, Or (laughs) anything else (laughs) that really piques uh, our interest. And and we're going to kick off this week by, you know, basically doing some some additional draft preview stuff. So if you go to our Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash better rivals, uh, and you sign up, uh, we're starting off at one level, which is the bias a beer level. And we're going to have you guys pick a player that we're going to do some scouting on over the weekend and then post up uh, a little analysis for the Patreon subscribers. So go to betterrivals.com forward slash Patreon, give it a whirl uh, and hang out with us there because that's going to be our official space for the Better Rivals pod. Um, so, yeah, that's the that's the stuff on the front end. Let's get to the rundown, uh, because the, there was an all decade team that came out uh, with four Niners that were on the team. Staley, Gore, Sherman, Patrick Willis, David Newman, your reaction. 
Uh, n- not a bad four. I mean, Sherman hardly counts. Um, as he is, I you know technically a current 49er uh that is not why he's making this team though so sure. isaac bruce one of the f- just famed 49ers wide receivers isaac bruce you know right up there in the pantheon with jerry rice is one of the greatest 40 randy moss one of the greatest wide receivers yeah. of all time absolutely um i hate to be this guy i feel like i'm this guy a lot on frank gore and it makes me see makes it seem like i hate frank gore which i like absolutely do not i love frank gore he's like one of my favorite players favorite 49ers ever um i don't think he deserves to be on this list um it's tough because his his peak really came kind of like from like 07 to 2012 yeah, he's like a weird mid-decade guy if he was going to make make one right. If you did like a 2005 to 2015, like maybe he's on that team. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just think like it's one, it's one of the thing with Frank Gore and it's the same sort of deal as like the Hall of Fame case in a lot of ways, which is like how much does do, do you like value longevity, right? Does just like purely being around for a long time, like enough to, to get you on one of these teams or get you into the hall of fame. And it's like, I don't, I don't know that it should, um, but it does. Like we know that definitely, I think the, you know, the, what was it? The hall of fame voters voted on this team as well. So um, makes sense that like that same sort of thought would filter into this team. But yeah, I, I don't know. I just think that he's not one of the best running backs of this decade. My issue is mostly with just the mess of the construction of what makes up this roster. Mm-hmm. You've got four cornerbacks. You've got a flex position that is Darren Sproles. And everyone's like, okay, I guess he kind of made it in for his punt returner, kick return abilities. But he also made it in <laughs> at punt returner or kick returner. Um, you know, like basically it, it's the same issue that you run into when you are like when you don't give them clear definitions of positions. And, and so it's just it's, it's, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. And, and until they they actually settle on what the fixed position should be, um, I mean, four running backs, four wide receivers, I don't know that that should be equal. I mean, now that you've got... Because twenty, the, really, the 2010s were the decade where 11 personnel really starts to take over. 2012, 13, yep. 14 is where you start to see that move. I think, you know, it, it should move as well. And you should have more wide receivers on the field than you do running backs. Use check is complaining about fullbacks not being on there. I mean, look, they got that right. But other than that, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just the, the I, I just the construction of it all just it just kind of rankles me. And it's like I, no one knows what they're voting for or how. And that immediately reduces the legitimacy of said thing. That being said, go Joe Staley. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Go Joe Staley. But I mean, to that point, like that's how you end up with players at weird ass positions. Right. So you have, um, you know, the defensive positions, I think, are the worst with this. Right. And, and like, you have like 13 edge rushers. To, <laughs> Right. So you have like your DNs are all edge rushers, but they end up being just guys that are happen to be fourth. What are in sort of like four, three DNs. Right. Um, but then you end up with somebody like Chandler Jones, who is absolutely just an edge rusher. And if anything belongs in one of the DN spots, but he's in a linebacker spot with Luke guys like Luke. Same with Cleo Mack and Von Miller. Like they're in the linebacker position with guys like Willis and Wagner and Keekley. And it's like the, they don't remotely play the same position. Like, it's just insane. Yeah, they, they they need to update the position designations, come up with some clear guidelines. And this goes for like the all pro team, right? We do got to do this every single year with the all pro team has similar yeah, issues. Pro Bowl suffers from the same thing, too. Yep. It's just Although like Pro Bowl is, is a whole different thing. But the, the good thing for these four players, though, is that something like 75 percent of players who make an all decade team 
eventually make it into the NFL or into the NFL Hall of Fame. So yeah. there's there's a solid case for these players to actually end up being enshrined in canon. And, and I think for Patrick Willis and Sherman, that's probably a shoo-in. Uh, I think for Gore, that's probably going to be a longevity thing. And, and I think he will maybe not be a first ballot guy, but probably make it in. Staley's yep. an interesting one because um, I, I think that he may have a stronger case than Gore. Um, but I don't know that, that that's yeah. perceived that way um, uh, across the NFL. But that's uh, the, really the only Niner news that's been out. Other than that, Brandon Ayuk, who's been one of the guys that we profiled last week on the, the draft preview for wide receivers, had some core muscle surgery. He's going to be out three to 12 weeks, apparently back before training camp, but decided to take the surgery when there was no OTAs in sight. So there wasn't anything that he was going to miss. So Brandon Ayuk, we wish you well. Uh, and if the Niners end up needing to draft a wide receiver at the bottom of the first or top of the second, somewhere in there, he might be a guy that hopefully the 49ers target. All right, David, let's get to the tackles and uh, and the preview for the tackles because it really tackles should be an option for the 49ers near the top of the first round. And so the question that I think comes right off the top is when do you nope out of 13? When eventually do you think, okay, all these guys are gone. Now it really is an option to trade back. Um, so that that's going to be kind of how I want to look at the, 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 the question in general is like what, what players need to be gone for us to really consider right. getting the hell out of 13. Cause there's a good number of players that the Niners would be very happy with at 13. Um, and a couple of them are going to be tackles. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, when you look at Joe Staley being, you know, who knows if he's even going to be back for this season, a hundred percent. And so, but at the very least, even if he comes back for one more year, um, you know, we know that his time is limited and, and we know that uh, tackle is a position that Kyle Shanahan values very much. He has tended to draft players at this position highly. Um, you know, obviously we got McGlinchey not too long ago there. So we know that this is going to be a position that is on their radar, uh, especially with, I think, a tackle class that has some pretty good options, you know, up towards the top of the draft. And so, um, you know, we're going to go through some of the names there. But I think when you start looking at 13 and what they're likely to be targeting there, um, I think with how this draft class lines up as well, tackle and wide receiver really need to be the clear top two positions at that point. And I think, you know, if, if some of the guys that we mentioned and get to there, that that's when you start looking, okay, like we, we might need to try to get out of this spot and, and get some more picks. It seems like the, the wild cards for what's going to happen with the, the pick and what's really going to make the board fall in a way that is not in the 49ers favor. Looks like it's really going to be the giants, the Jags, the jets and the Raiders. They're the wild card. We've got NFL mock draft database and they basically scrape the internet for a whole bunch of mocks and then tell you, what the consensus pick for each one of these teams is. And then they give you the percentage of instances in which that player is indeed picked for that team. There are about six to seven teams at the top that seem pretty fixed. The Giants are a little bit of a wild card. Their needs are tackle, cornerback, and edge. After seven, the popularity percentages drop in part because the choices become a little more varied, but you've got some teams that have uh, wide receiver needs that could end up taking one. You've got the Jets who need a wide receiver. The Raiders, of course, are, are rumored to get a wide receiver. And at that point, I think we were pretty clear last week that Judy Lamb are going to be our two. You, you can't go wrong with either one. But if Ruggs isn't there, now all of a sudden you're thinking to yourself, okay, if these tackles maybe aren't there because they go super early, then you know my two wide receivers are gone. Some of the top tackles are gone. 
that's really where you consider getting out of 13, in, in my opinion. And so it's really important to think about which tackles deserve to be picked at 13, because if those tackles then aren't there, now you super duper nope out and you're like, okay, now I really do want to trade back and maybe rack up some of those, you know, maybe a later first round pick and get some mid round picks where there's going to be some value. Right. And I think while it's, it's certainly possible that, um, you know, there's three tackles that I think we feel are kind of clearly separated from the rest of the group that, that would be in consideration there at 13. Um, and then we also kind of felt again, like Judy and lamb were, were the clear top two at receiver. And so I think, it's certainly possible that all five of those players are gone by the time you get to 13. Right. Um, but it does feel like there's a decent chance that one of those guys slip, right? If there's an early run on tackles, then you're looking at maybe the, one of the receivers left over. Um, if, if there's an early run on the receiver group, then you're hoping one of the tackles slip, right? So there's a good chance when, when you look at obviously the rest of the draft class as a whole and, and getting those other positions figured in there, like, it seems very plausible that like one of these options could eventually get there. But yeah, I think absolutely. Once you get beyond those five players, that's when you need to be looking elsewhere. Yeah. Really defensive tackles, pretty much the only way that this could go wrong. If they end up with someone like a Kinlaw because they fall in love with them or something like that, that's where, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to spend too much time on defensive tackles. Um, I, I don't know if we're ever going to spend a lot of time scouting them on the Patreon, but <laughs> I don't think we're going to spend any time on tackles, uh, defensive tackles, because I cannot take it. Uh, like I'm not prepared for a world in which they uh, traded for this pick and then they end up just drafting DeForest Buckner's replacement um, and taking another defensive tackle there. Like I, I just have so many issues with that that we're not going to get into right now because you know what? I want to be happy right now. And if that situation yeah. comes to fruition, at draft time, we will address it at draft time. Uh, until let's, then, going to pretend like it doesn't exist. Let's talk about tackles because tackles, you know, it, it, Joe Staley definitely is 50-50 to return. That's what Matt Mayoko put his odds at returning. And Mike McGlinchey was just recently interviewed and he said, you know, he's not going to talk about his decision, but he could go either way. He deserves the right to hang him up if he wants to, but he can also come back and play at a high level. I think that's a pretty good assessment. Um, but tackle is indeed something the Niners have to address fairly soon. While I do think that they have some developmental or backup tackles on the roster, if, if indeed Joe Staley leaves, this becomes a very, very pressing need. And this is the tackle-rich draft. And, and really, tackle is becoming and is one of the premier positions in the NFL. And, and edge pressure is increasing as well. PFF did a neat little study where they compared edge pressure rates from like 2010 or 2006 to 2012, and then 2013 to 2019. And they found that edge pressure went up about 8%. Part of that is because of just the athleticism of edge defenders in general. And so when you look at this class in general, one of the things that jumps out is that the top players in this tackle draft are all really, really athletic. Uh, And that starts with Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa, uh, who I think is probably the best tackle of the three and, and just moves unusually well for a big man. Yeah. And I think one thing to actually talk about with him too, just with a tackle is that, so he's primarily a right tackle, right? He played right tackle in college. And I think just, 
Um, something to get your mind around in general is like there's no need to prioritize left tackle over right tackle in today's NFL, right? There's no longer uh, where, where it's just like you have one good pass protecting tackle that goes on the left side and then you end up with this kind of like mauling more run blocker type that goes in at right tackle and everything's fine. Like uh, in today's NFL, you have great pass rushers that are lined up on both sides of the field. You need two good pass protecting tackles. And so um, the fact that Werfs and then one of the other guys that we're going to get to um, was primarily right tackle as well. Another one flip sides. Um, none of that really matters, right? I think the, the 49ers have the flexibility to go with either because Mike McGlinchey obviously has been playing right tackle now, um, played left tackle when he was at Notre Dame, so he can easily, I think, flip back over to that left side if needed. But getting to Werf specifically, yeah, absolutely. The first thing that stands out about him is that athletic ability, you know, um, was had a, a spark score that was through the roof, uh, 99th percentile, which was the top among all offensive linemen. And he's a big dude too, like 320, like looks every bit of just a large, massive human. Um, but he moves much better than you would expect from someone that size. Yeah, 320. His 40 time was under five seconds. Uh, his broad jump was 121. Uh, inches. I mean, he's just, he's moving a lot of mass um, and it shows in his feet. I mean, he's got excellent feet. He's got fantastic balance as a pass protector. Um, and the thing that we love, of course, is overall athleticism and spark score. And he was in the 99th percentile of athletes for his position, which is one of the top scores amongst offensive linemen. The thing I think that makes it easy for him when you're watching his tape is one of the same reasons why we love Jerry Judy, because the projection was easy. It was easy to see Judy in a Niners uniform because he was running routes and doing things that you see the 49ers wide receivers do every Sunday. And with Werfs, you see some of that easy scheme projection because Iowa runs a very NFL-like scheme. So it's easy to see him doing things that the Niners would be asking him to do on Sunday. And honestly, we're building, what, the Iowa of the West at this point? Uh, So just, you know, continue to stay on brand. I mean, it it was uh, a lot of the same things that we talked about on that point, right, with George Kittle, actually, when he came out. It's like they do – Iowa has a very zone-heavy, you know, run scheme. They like to run a lot of the play action and boot stuff off of that. Um, They're very NFL-like in in kind of their formations and their protections and just a lot of what they're doing, right, resembles more of what you see a lot of NFL teams try to do than, you know, necessarily what you would immediately think of when you think of a more college-esque offense, right? So, uh, you know, on on that front, it makes it, again, very easy just to see him like, okay, I want to see him uh, run zone plays because we know that that's going to be important in the 49ers scheme. Well, I have a ton of snaps of them running zone schemes, zone schemes from under center, you know, everything that you're going to see the 49ers like want him to do. So it's great. And I think you move to production, right? How well did he excel at doing those things? And I think his production is probably unmatched in this tackle class, right? From just that perspective, uh, he's the one that I think is, is kind of coming in at the top of the list. So when you look at, one of the things that we've been looking at a lot at PFF um, as far as draft stuff goes, and especially for offensive linemen, is what we're calling true pass sets, right? Which is just um, a way to kind of filter down. You remove some things like uh, get rid of the screens, you get rid of play actions and some of the boot and rollout concepts, things that basically make the job of the offensive line a lot easier, right? So you're kind of scheming up protection a lot of ways. You filter all that stuff out and you kind of just look at the drop back passes that are left, 
Um, and so when you look at those he, over the last two seasons, Worfs was number one in pass block grade among this, uh, this tackle class here. And then you go to the run side and you look at what he's doing on zone runs, third in run block grade, right? So top three in, in both phases there. Um, he's just, yeah, I think a guy that it's, it's very hard not to like him when you turn on his tape. He's, he's a very well-rounded, solid NFL-ready prospect. Yeah, he's one of those players that I would be surprised if, the, if he fell to 13, but if he did, uh, and Judy and Lamb are gone, and and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, like someone like him or Henry Ruggs, I could easily see the team picking him and me going, and me going, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. You know, you're, yep. you're getting potentially the best tackle in the draft or the the third best wide receiver, and and this tackle, I mean, you, you basically put him on the bookend, and you've got him McGlinchey for a bit, and you've got them for another couple of cost controlled seasons. It, it's a no brainer if he's still there. He's really really good. If he is going to get beat, and it's not going to be often, um, we looked at some of his his negative plays, and it was like single digit number of plays, basically. Um, it, it's going to be with an inside move, um, but th- those are it wasn't like some kind of consistent breakdown or something that happened. There were plenty of times where he completely stonewalled an inside move. Um, it's just you know something that happens when when he he oversets a little bit, maybe expecting some speed, um, and then someone's able to athletically beat him inside, but didn't happen often. He, there's not a lot of tape of him getting it wrong. Uh, and he's overall just a really, really fantastic prospect. Right. And you look at just so just how often, right? So on those true pass sets, 299 of those over the last two seasons only had 11 times that we've got him being beat. So either allowing a pressure or just getting um, kind of beat on that block, but the ball you know was out before he could get pressure. So just losing his block, essentially, 11 times in nearly 300 snaps over the last two seasons. Yeah, it's the true pass sets are interesting because we, we've talked a lot about, especially this past season, about having having a player control what he can what he can do and, and beat his individual that he's lined up across uh, in a one on one situation. And the true pass set where you kind of get rid of some of the play action stuff, you get rid of the things that make blocking easier. And you're like, OK, now it's one on one. Do you prevent your guy from winning or does he win? Uh, that That's really what that true pass set really narrows narrows in on so i, I think it's it's yeah. a great way of evaluating um and, and really winnowing down the things you have to look at for for tackles and still being able to project that over the course of you know the, the leap from college to the nfl um but if worse is number one then you get into the next two um and the next one that we'll talk about i don't know if he's the second best tackles andrew thomas out of georgia a player that played exclusively a left tackle in 2019 um, and someone who has strong movement skills, but maybe not as good of an overall athlete as Tristan Wirfs. Yeah. So I think with him, you know, it's very clear. Like actually we were, we were going through watching him had watched Wirfs first and then went immediately to Thomas next. And so you can absolutely see the difference in like the overall athleticism, right? Like, um, Wirfs just moves a little bit differently, right? Everything's a little bit smoother, a little bit, uh, quicker, like, you know, just that athleticism really pops out with Thomas. Like it's, it's not the defining part of his game necessarily, but he's got really good movement skills and in that, like he's going to make the most out of the athletic ability that he does have. Right. So he's still kind of is a smooth mover. Like he looks good in his pass sets and, and you, you don't ever look at him and be like, Oh, he's a, like a poor athlete. Like he's going to have trouble against some of the NFL like edge defenders that he's going to go against like 
that doesn't end up being really a huge concern. And actually, when you look at the change of direction stuff, which can be really important, you know, not only in pass protection, if you think of like, uh, you know, an edge defender that starts outside and then makes a hard inside move and that tackle needs to be able to kind of open up and redirect with him. Um, but also like in the run game with what the 49ers are going to do there movement and, and the ability for these linemen to get to the second level and kind of chase after linebackers and the zone stuff they're doing also going to be really important. Um, and so I think you see him excel there. That change of direction type stuff um, is, is really good with him. And when you look at his ability to perform in a zone blocking scheme, his run block grade was first in the draft class on zone runs over the past two years. So He's definitely someone that can slot in and still fit in the 49ers system. We watched his game against Chason uh, in the SEC Championship game, and he had some really good tape there where he was able to redirect Chason on some spin moves where Chason tries to get inside, and he, Thomas just kind of handles him, moves him across the face of the quarterback, basically like, nope, not even going to worry about it. Um, and he showed some really solid hands, which is one of the things that drops off considerably once you get out of the top tackles is just their ability to use their hands is something that they're able to consistently do. And as you move down the ranking, you just don't see it as often. Uh, he did. He does something that you see even NFL tackles have trouble with, where he will basically show his hands, get the defender to swipe, move them out of the way, and then get the punch when that defender is off balance. Um, it's some pretty cool stuff when you're able to see it and execute it. And Andrew Thomas is able to do things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think, again, production wise, it's there. You want to, you know, we always talk about with the top prospects and guys that you're considering taking in the first round, I think especially high in the first round, um, you know, you want them to kind of check all of the major boxes, right? You want to see them have an athletic profile that that looks like it'll translate to the NFL level. So they're not going to be out of their depth there. Um, you want to see like a, a fairly large sample size of plays with these guys. Um, you want them to produce within that sample size, right? If, if it should be concerning, if they can't go out and dominate the level of competition that they were at, right? That, that should give you pause if they can't do that. when you're looking at taking somebody at the top of the first round. Um, and, and so I think, and then of course you want all of the, kind of football specific traits, right? How well does he play his position? What is his skill set like? Can he do those things? And so I think with him, yeah, he checks, you know, all of those boxes, not as enthusiastically in the athleticism department as somebody like Werfs, but I think he still gets there. And then production was great as well. I think he's actually really excelled um, kind of on the run side was the number one uh, run block grade in this draft class when he looked at the zone runs. And he's not a guy that has, you know, some of the uh, players have some some highlight reel blocks, right, where they are driving guys 10 yards off the ball and putting them on their back. Um, he doesn't have the same sort of like high-end dominant block reel that, that you'll see from some of these guys, but he has such a high percentage of just like positive good blocks. Um, and and he, has, he does that at a higher rate than basically anybody else in this class and still very good on the pass block side as well, sixth in this draft class and pass block grade on the true pass set. So uh, production, absolutely checking that box. Now for me, even though Thomas is, is still a, a good prospect, I, I think I might have Jedrick Willis, who's the third player in the top three, uh, ranked a little higher than Andrew Thomas. He's coming out as a true junior, saw limited action as a true freshman, Uh, was a solid pass protector as a sophomore, a little shaky in the run game, but he really did put it all together as a junior now before he comes out from Alabama. But uh, what I liked about him is that his feet just seemed a little better. He seemed to have like really quick feet, a good wide base. Um, He's a little bit more athletic than Andrew Thomas, 
But overall, it just seemed like he was a bit more technically sound than Andrew Thomas. And at this point, I mean, we're really picking nits, right? Like if, if someone For had sure. Andrew Thomas over Jedrick Willis, you wouldn't, you, you, it wouldn't take too much to convince me. Um, but just in, in what we watched, I thought Willis just looked a little bit more like uh, an NFL tackle. I know that's, you know, all the hyper specificity that we love here on this pod. He just looked the part. <laughs> he's got he's got some dog in him or something. Um, <laughs> but oh to me, God, he, no. I, I know it's, it's my it's my least favorite saying. <laughs> it's my least favorite saying. I mean, I'm well, I'm over here prepping to talk about like forklifts and big men moving and flat backs and, you know, this, that and the other. But got some dog in him is the one that always gets me. Got some dog. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he's still he's still a, a really explosive athlete, right? He's a 72nd percentile spark yeah. guy, so he's got the movement skills. Um, he just looked to me like he had uh, a more well-put-together kick step, and, and his pass set looked a bit more refined. But it, it's not, again, it's little things, and it, I wouldn't take yeah. too much to convince me that Thomas was a little better. Yeah, I think that point uh, with Wills, as far as him being you know really explosive at his stance, I think that's one of the first things that stood out to me um, that you really like. I, th- I think... Um, yeah, he he's again, he's a guy that consistently got better, which is is really been the case with all three of these top guys. Right. You see uh, a nice, consistent improvement. All of them saw action early in their college career, continue to get better season after season. Um, so I think you've got that with Wills here as well. Uh, yeah, I, I think that when you look at all three of these guys, it, it really does get pretty nitpicky when you start trying to get the differences between them, right? I feel like we say a lot of the, we're going to say like a lot of the same things about all of them um, because they're, they're pretty similar players. I think as far as just like what caliber of prospect they are, right? Not necessarily that they're the same stylistically. Uh, I think one thing that I would like about wills uh, over some of the others is, is I think um, with Alabama's run scheme, there's just, I think he fits in, with some of the more just like wide variety of run schemes that we're getting from the 49ers now, right? No longer are they just pure, like exclusively a zone team. Like we saw them last season, especially really mix things up quite a bit. there, add a lot more type of gap runs um, into their system. And so that's something that I think Wills has the ability to do like at Alabama did a lot of that stuff, ran a variety of different schemes. And I think he can execute basically all of the run blocks that you want him to be able to. And then he's definitely going to be able to hold his own, you know, in, in pass protection, he's going to be fine there. Yeah. And so you look at those being the top three and you look at that mock draft database and they've got that consensus board. And if the board falls exactly how the consensus mock draft is, is basically laying it all out. Joe Burrow goes one, young goes two, yada, yada, yada. You get down, uh, Worfs goes first to the Cardinals, uh, and then you get Andrew Thomas, who goes to the Browns. CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy actually end up going 11 and 12 to the Jets. This has Ruggs going 13 to the Niners, but really, that leaves Jedrick Wills left, and he, in this mock, goes to the Tampa Bay Bucks, uh, or as we'll call them now, the Tampa Bay Pewters. And, and so I think that they, that word is just so funny to me, pewter. But the, <laughs> if he's available at 13... I think that, and he's one of the five that you've got that are there up there. I think you run that card in and you're happy with that. You're happy with getting a tackle. It's a premier position. You've got a cost controlled player. That's very, very good. And, and you've got a player that, that produced and was athletic enough to fit the type of player that, that you want. And, and that gives Staley the option to retire if he feels beholden to the team. And if he wants to come back for one more year, you could absolutely put Wills in at guard uh, and have really an elite talent at guard get him some playtime, get the best five on the field, and then move him to tackle whenever Staley's contract is done. 
Yeah, I, I think I, I completely agree with the point um, where you're happy if you end up with one of these three tackles or, again, one of the two receivers, right? I think that kind of group of five, for us at least, is where you're at is like that's the group that, you know, you're hopefully picking from at 13. If you can get any one of those five, I mean, I would definitely still prefer one of the receivers over any of the three tackles, you know, if, if they're available and taking one of those guys first. Um, but you're, you're not going to be upset with any one of those five players. If they turn in the car with their name on them. Let's get to the other two tackles that are oftentimes lumped in the top five group of tackles, but that we think there's kind of a bit of a, of a gap between these two players and the other three at the top of the position group. And first up is Josh Jones from Houston a player that played exclusively at left tackle in 2019, uh, who was a four-year starter, but took a big leap in his senior year. Yeah, it was really uh, just kind of, you know, not you hesitate to call a four-year starter a one-year wonder, but as far as the elite-level production, I mean, that's really what it was. So, I mean, he had, over his first three seasons, largely pretty mediocre play, right, which isn't something that you really want to see from a guy necessarily that's playing, you know, in a group of five conference, right? You're not even at at a power five level. So there's already going to be some concern about the competition that you're playing, which I think certainly applies with Jones here. Um, But then you at least do get the one season where it's like, okay, he, he dominated his level of competition, right? You always want to see that with the the lower um, level players, you know, even if it's just talking a group of five player over a power five team, um, you want to see them, the guys that you're, again, you're taking in the first round should absolutely dominate and look like they're a cut above the rest of the players that they're on the field with. And, and that's just, um, something that we finally got from him in his senior year. But I think when you look at, um, you know, kind of the overall production and then especially that once you get into kind of more of the trade stuff and looking at his technique compared to those top three guys. And I think there's a clear drop off there in both phases. So, Production wise was 14th, both on the run and pass phase in this uh, in this draft class on the zone runs and the true pass sets there. So, again, well below what those other guys were at. And technique wise, it it just looks like a a different game that you're watching a tackle when you go from those guys that are very polished at the top to Jones, who just has a lot of work to do with this technique to get to an NFL level. He legit looks the way that Kurt Warner and JTL Sullivan looked backpedaling out of a shotgun stance for Mike Martz in like 2008. Like that's <laughs> how he looks coming out of his pass set a little sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes he's just yep. straight up backpedaling. And and it's real weird because he's just like, he's like kind of crouched in his stance and he's backpedaling. And it's like, I don't, I don't even understand what this is. Is this a pass set? Is something going on here? I don't know. Um, it looks really weird. The, it looks super weird, but the other thing he tends to do is he also tends to start really low with his hands, yeah. uh, and he gets them up real late, and starting low with your hands is a problem because it exposes your chest, and if you get uh, an edge defender into your chest and he can especially long arm you, you're beat. You've got no way of getting your hands on him, uh, and at that point, he's controlling you, and, and you've got no way to win that rep. So, and it happens fairly consistently. His, I mean, his low hands are a thing that happens more often than his weird Mike Martz quarterback backpedal, um, but just not as refined overall as a prospect. And, and yeah, you could think to yourself, okay, maybe you, you can coach some of that up and coach some of that out, but why have to cross that hurdle when you've already got three players that can do it if one of those is available? Right, and that's where it really comes down to, again, where you're getting this guy. When you're talking about 
comparing him with those top three tackles and, and a player that you're going to be taking at 13 and you're really expecting to be able to come into uh, a situation right away and be able to play at a pretty high level. Right. Um, that's what I think you would get out of those top three guys or like what you're definitely expecting to get with those top three guys. Uh, I just don't think you have that here. I mean, if you're trying to spin it positively, you can say that like, okay, he did dominate, in spite of like all of these limitations that we're talking about technique wise. Right. So he wasn't even playing, like taking full advantage of the, the tools that he has, which he does like, I mean, he's a big dude. He's like six, seven, three ten. like fits the, the height length weight profile that you want to get from your tackles at the NFL level. Like all of that is there. The physical tools are there. And so you see that like show up for that senior season where he can dominate the AAC and do it with subpar technique, right? That makes you can make you optimistic that, okay, once he gets some NFL level coaching, we can clean some of that stuff up and then he'll really take off, but it doesn't always yeah, work he, that way. Well, not only that, but I think he's really the option if the Niners end up trading out because there are the, all five players are gone. And now let's say you, you yeah. trade back with the Cowboys or you trade back with, the Vikings or, or someone that is wanting to move up to do something and he's available at 18 or 17 or he's available at 22. That's where I think you may get some value out of that pick where he's not a top 10 guy, um, but you may see, okay, he's one of the top four or five tackles. Um, and, and so that's where I think you, you may consider him. Um, but if you're, if you're at 13 and there's an, and there's another tackle on the board or um, you know, I think he's not in that same, he's not in that same group. Yeah. And and I think like even once you I mean, it really depends on where you're at and who else is available. Right. Because I think once you uh, even move down in the first round a little bit where he does come, I think, a little bit more into play where it becomes a little bit more palatable to take him. I mean, there's, again, a strong group of receivers that's going to be available, you know, towards the end of that first round as well. And so I think depending on which which of those receivers are there. Um, it's certainly not a sure thing that you would look to go there, but yeah, I think I would be most comfortable even later in the first round than what you were talking about, like down there yeah. 31, if he's available at 31. Yeah. Like yeah. I think right now everyone is kind of assuming, I mean, I don't know that Shanahan is going to escape the first round or top of the second without trying to address tackle. It doesn't mean they will, but they're, I think yeah. they're strongly thinking about it. And, and I, I think that because of the way they value the position, and I think rightfully so, they think that first-round talent is probably what they need at each of those spots. And, and so I do think that if they end up going wide receiver at 13, and if Josh Jones is available at 31, I think absolutely, you do it. I think that that's, that's easy. I, just, I wouldn't put him up there at 13. Uh, yeah. And similarly, like the other player in this group of five, Makai Becton out of Louisville, um, he's someone that probably has the most question marks, even though he's been a fast riser up boards because of his ridiculously fast 40 time. Yeah. And so I think the, the key point to make with Becton, right. Is, um, it, it takes kind of the, the buying upside thing with Jones to really it's max level. It, Cause that's really what you're doing with him. I mean, Physically, he's absolutely freakish. Um, he's like six seven, three hundred and seventy pounds, and he moves like he's you know fifty pounds lighter than that. Um, so like he he really does move well for a, uh, just a massive human that's that size. Literally, his forty time was a tenth of a second faster than the average tackle, uh, which weighs three hundred and fourteen pounds. 
Uh, you look at uh, Thomas, who's 315, and his 40 was 5.2 seconds. Becton clocked it at 364, uh, and his 40 was 5.1 seconds. Yeah. I mean, it, it is wild to see like a man that size move as quickly as he does at times. Like it, it's a kind of crazy thing to, to be able to witness for sure. Um, but I think, you know, the, the true pass set thing that we talked about a little bit earlier really stands out. And I think is important to bring up with Becton specifically because Louisville had a scheme that really uses a ton of screens, a ton of play actions. Um, and, and so you just don't have a ton of opportunities where he's taking a pass set in a way that's the most transferable to the NFL level, right? You really, that's why this group of, of plays is so important and why we've kind of been focusing on that throughout the pod. And we're talking about the, the production that they're putting up. It's because that's the, the subset of plays that is going to tell us best how they're going to pass protect at the NFL level. And the problem with Becton is the, despite the fact that he has multiple years of playing time, he does not have many situations where we're getting those true pass sets. So you look at 2019, just 73 of those where a lot of the other tackles, I mean, are at least in triple digits. I mean, somebody like Andrew Thomas has over a hundred more true pass sets on the season. Thomas and Worfs both do over 180 again, 73 times over the course of a season, just not a lot of opportunity to see what he can do in those. And then to top it off, it's not like he is going out there and crushing it in those limited you know, plays where we get that look, right? He's struggling a lot more than all of the other guys that we've talked about so far. So his production is just kind of way, way below that. And so I think really he is a guy that that is purely you are taking him on tools and upside, not on what he's actually shown the ability to do at the college level. Yeah. And for me, you take someone with that athletic profile with upside, but you've got to develop them in like second, third round, depending on what your pick distribution is. Problem is Niners don't have any second or third round picks currently. Um, And and that's a bit of the problem. Yeah. Or fourth. Right. And that's a, a bit of a problem when you're talking about how this board is going to fall. Um, because it may mean that if they don't trade, they do reach for a player because they don't have any mid-round picks. And, and that's something that we're going to have to consider that they think maybe they've got a second-round pick, but this we know this team falls in love with the player and thinks they're the only one. And so they're going to just overdraft that individual because they think that's the dude. And, and with, with Becton, I think my, my big concern is that you, you think of what his limited sample size tells you like you've got priors and your priors when you're looking at a small school guy is okay they really should dominate those one-on-ones right where the true pass set focus isn't just saying that there are no play actions and no screens in the nfl there are absolutely but what you're trying to do is isolate the one-on-one thing that really reifies or distills their ability as a pass protector and when you distill those snaps for becton he doesn't perform all that well his grade on those true pass set plays is in the 58th percentile, which is easily the lowest of the five tackles we're talking about. There's no other tackle who is lower than the 86th percentile. That's Jedrick Willis. All the other players are in the 91st percentile or above in terms of PFF grade on these true pass sets. So not only you take your priors now where it's like, yeah, he's got athleticism, but he didn't dominate small school competition And now the transition or projection to the NFL is quite a bit different than someone who dominated their small school performance or their their small school stature and also has that athletic profile. 
Right. And I think it's, it's also kind of important to bring up as well. Like while it's easy to get infatuated with, like I mentioned, uh, a guy that's that massive that can move as well as he does, right? There's not many of those humans on earth at all that can come in and do those sort of things. Um, and, and so it's very easy to get caught up in that. I'm not a hundred percent convinced that having that sort of size at tackle is even an advantage. Like I think in a lot of situations in today's NFL, it leaves him at a disadvantage because one thing that you do see with him is while if he can get going on a track, right. And be able to like stay on that track, like help anyone who gets in his way, just like it, it is going to be disastrous because he will just like hurl them across the field at times. It, it was a lot of fun to watch his run block snaps where he's just literally oh, tossing people. It was that we, we had a lot of fun doing that. <laughs> if he gets a hold of you, like it's over, like don't get me wrong. Like it is bad news for that defender. Um, the problem is, is like, again, change of direction is a big deal, especially when you're uh, a tackle out in space, that's going to be doing the type of things that uh, the 49ers are going to ask your tackles to do. Uh, it, it is changing direction is, is just as important as what he can do kind of on that straight line track, right? If not even way more important. And so and I it's think notable that he didn't run any of the other change of direction drills at the combine. He's got yeah. like he ran a 40 and that was it. And, and so I think that size, like it's going to make it tougher for him to, you know, kind of shift that weight and get it going another direction. Um, it also is going to leave him like when, when your technique isn't great, right? We talked about this. Uh, a little bit with uh, Jones, right? Where it's like, okay, with him, it was he's leaving his hands low and uh, that kind of opens up his chest. Well, a similar thing if like you're if you're so big and you play kind of high, like it, it can become a little bit easier for NFL edge defenders to get underneath you and get into that chest and, and you kind of lose your power at that point, right? You're not able to uh, kind of anchor in, in any way because you're, you're kind of stumbling backwards um, once they've kind of got that initial push on you. And so I think there's a lot of things that you have to compensate for as a, a tackle that size. I mean, 49ers fans have a, a, you know, a similar type of thing that they've experienced with Trent Brown. You know, we talked about with Trent Brown a lot, like um, in pass protection. Yeah, there there are snaps where if he gets his mitts on you, like it's over, right? He's going to lock up and, and that play is done. That edge defender is doing nothing. Um, but there are a lot of plays that look really ugly with Trent Brown as well because of his size and because of his inability to like change direction and, and keep up with some of these smaller, quicker players that he's going against on, on defense. So I think, yeah, it, it's not something that you look at and should be like, oh, let's go with the massive guy that can move because that might put him honestly at more of a disadvantage than anything. So are there any other players that we should consider? Because right now we've been talking about getting tackle at the top of the first round or uh, potentially at the bottom of the first round if you're thinking someone like Josh Jones is going to fall. Um, but let's say the Niners end up trading out of 31. Let's say they, they end up getting their wide receiver or, or getting someone at 13, and then they trade out of 31 and get a, an additional second or third round pick. There's probably a couple of other players that you might consider there, but they're going to be much more raw and definitely more projects if you're looking at drafting these tackles in, in the second or third round. Uh, first one is going to be really pretty fantastic name, all things considered, but <laughs> Ezra Cleveland. Uh, from Boise State. So maybe Boise, Boise State. They get very, very particular about how you pronounce Boise. Uh, it's like B O Y hyphen C. It's like you with Nevada, Nevada. Boise. I don't. Are we sure that that's the one that they get upset about? I almost think it's Boise. 
I don't it's know. It's Boise. Man. I spent it, way too me. much time in that place. Fuck that place. I don't even want yeah. their blue turf <laughs> off my board completely due to the blue turf. Like that I don't is even want to watch your fucking snaps. Get that turf out of my face. Um, when when that film came on, it was an audible groan. It was like, oh Jesus, I forgot about this blue field. I hate uh, that it's bad. Field, it was man. a little better um, when the when they're wearing black uniforms, but when they're wearing the all blue uniforms on yeah. the blue turf. It's it's god awful. It's just a load of bullshit. Um, I think with him, <laughs> the the thing that you like, right, is is the athleticism with him. So uh, when we go back to our trusty Spark scores here, he was actually second among offensive linemen that we have scores available for on Three Sigma Athlete right now, behind Werfs, um, and it shows up, right? I think um, from from his feet standpoint, like he moves well he can mirror guys uh in pass protection very well uh and i i don't think there's going to have any issues with like keeping up with even the more athletic edge defenders um however well, you forget he has hands like yeah. he just forgets he has there hands. Are some issues. he just he literally like if you've ever seen those internet videos of dogs with only their hind legs and no front paws and they kind of have to stand and they walk around and they look like it's just an unnatural upright thing moving towards you that's just going to bump into you because it has no arms to stop you. Oh that's basically God. what he looks like when he's pass protecting. Uh, I mean, it is it is funny because um, he doesn't have very like I mean he's six six, but he doesn't have that length that you would normally uh, you know expect to have with your NFL tackles. Like so, his arms are a little shorter than normal anyway. And then, yeah, there's a point like having patient hands can be a very good thing as a tackle, right? Like uh, you don't want to kind of throw that punch out and, and, and look to engage the defender too early because that can leave you off balance. It's going to allow him time to be able to, to swat those hands down and be able to get around you like can create some issues, right? If you're too early. So having some patient hands can be a good thing, but you don't want to be so patient that you just forget to use them altogether, right? There, there needs to be a little bit of a middle ground there. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that yep. was uh, something that stuck out. I think is uh, some a lot of his losses too came on stunts. Um, you know, the T stunts, especially where he's got to be able to control the tackle that's inside of him, where his end is looping back inside. That was kind of an issue uh, that we saw pop up. And then I think from a strength standpoint, just isn't there the the, the play strength um, for what you would want out of an NFL player is is severely lacking at this point. The next player in this camp is going to be Matt Pert. Uh, Matt Pert's someone who plays with very, very wide hands. It just like it looks like he's always trying to hug you. Uh, and, and in the NFL, that is a holding call waiting to happen. Um, yeah. And part of the reason that he's susceptible to the bull rush so often is just because he has wide hands. He lets people get into his chest. Uh, and so it doesn't end well. Again, someone else who could be a, a developmental prospect just because of their athletic profile. We know that Shanahan likes athletic tackles and that they need to be able to move and they need to be able to move in space. And, and Matt Pert is another player that does that. He's someone who uh, similarly was, I think like top 10 or top 15 in spark score uh, on three Sigma athlete, but would absolutely be a developmental project pro- prospect. I mean, I think Ezra, you're looking at maybe like a second rounder ish Matt Pert though. You're looking like third, fourth, fifth rounder, depending on what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's definitely a guy that um, is is much later on, like in in the draft is where you'd be looking to add him. And I think, yeah, it's just like he he has even if you have competition concerns about, you know, Boise State's level of competition that they're playing, which isn't great. Like, I think Cleveland played 
um, what two power five teams on their schedule this last year or something like that. So like not a lot of uh, plays against guys that are going to be on a, uh, on a field on Sundays at any point. Definitely for Matt Pert, who's coming from UConn, right? And, and their schedule is, is not going to be any better. So I think, yeah, you just have uh, a lot of same type of concerns with both guys, right? Where you like the athleticism there. It, it makes you think that you have something to work with, but we're just lacking a lot of stuff from a technique standpoint in some of these other areas, which, again, to be expected with guys that are, are going at the point of the draft that they're going to be going. All right, so I think that, I mean, we've got a top five players uh, on the, the better rivals board at this point, uh, and it consists of no quarterbacks, no defensive tackles, uh, all offensive <laughs> tackle and wide receiver at this point. Uh, and that's that's our big board. It's basically Judy, Lamb, uh, Wirfs, you've got Wills, and then Andrew Thomas rounding out the top five, or maybe you flip Thomas and Wills. Uh, and and that's, that's about it. Those are the only five players we've got eyeballs for. Uh, of those five, uh, let's say that Judy's gone and you've got Lamb. Let's say Wirfs is gone uh, and you've got wide receiver tackle. Uh, go. Do you still pick the wide receiver? Come on. You know the answer to that question. Yeah, I'm taking <laughs> Lamb. I'm taking Lamb. I'm taking Lamb uh, Lamb or Judy over any of the tackle. I literally think, yeah, the order that you listed him in there, I'm I'm honestly pretty indifferent between Thomas and, and Wills, I think. Um, they're really similar caliber players. Like I wouldn't have an issue, um, going either direction there. Worfs, you know, while I, I don't think he's like a clear step ahead in the same way that, uh, say Judy and Lamar to the receiver class for us. Um, I, I do think there's, he's just a little bit more refined. I feel a little bit more confident that he's going to come in and, and be a good player pretty early on. So, um, yeah, he would be the one I would go at, at three below those guys, but, Receivers first, tackle second. Yeah, I would just be so. I I, w- I think Jacksonville and the Jets are really the the teams that could swoop a wide receiver out from under the 49ers because I think the Raiders are locked into a wide receiver, and, and there's a possibility that wide receiver is Rugs maybe, but I, I don't think that Mayock is going to pass Judy or Lamb up if either one of them are there. But I mean, the Jets do need a wide receiver. They do. Um, they need um, a court and they, they need a lot of things. Counterpoint, but, maybe they are just really intent on making Sam Darnold's job as difficult as possible um, so they can get that ginger out of New York. I mean, look, I don't know why they'd want to get rid of syndrome. I mean, syndrome is clearly a brain that is capable of doing lots of things, uh, including maybe play quarterback. Um, it's it's I don't know. I, I don't know why the syndrome slander, but I could understand why they would want to make his job more difficult? No, I don't. They, they should try to make his job easier. Maybe they should, because but it's, it's the fucking Jets, man. I know. I know it's the Jets, and that's why you're hoping they don't go with the smart decision and draft someone like Lamb. Hopefully they go, you know, and like reach for a corner at that point because um, I think Okuda's uh, probably going to take a go. running back. Yeah, let's what? like... <laughs> Let's add, um, we still got Le'Veon Bell, right? Uh, still when they, when they do you think... When do you think the first running back goes off the board? Oh, way too fucking early. Um, yeah, I, I think that. Yeah, I, I think I haven't uh, even given a single thought to a running back in this draft process. So yeah, it's uh, probably DeAndre yeah, Swift, and I don't know if it's in the first round. But if it is, it would go to a dumbass team like the Dolphins. Oh man, if the Dolphins did all of this smart stuff to like accumulate all these picks, and then they fucking take a running back in the first round. Whoop. Yeah, you love it. Yeah, you love to see it. But yeah, but I do think, and I do think Jacksonville, another team that could 
get a wide receiver, but I just, I oh, feel like... I thought like... you were about to say they really need another running back to pair with Fournette. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think uh, they, they could be on that Kinlaw train. At least that's what the, the mock draft database has them going for. That that feels right for them. Um, you know, but but they could take a wide receiver too. I'm just, I'm hoping one of the wide receivers falls. But if not, yeah, uh, you've got tackles. You've got tackles. So... Thanks again for tuning in this week, everyone. Go over to the Patreon page. It's Better Rivals, or it's patreon.com forward slash Better Rivals. If you want to see a quick video scouting report on any of the players that we've covered so far, or a player that we haven't covered yet, but that you had some questions about, go to the Patreon, and you'll see a little post there where you can begin to vote on players uh, and go from there. So thanks again for tuning in, everyone. You can always follow me on Twitter, at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? That will be at pff underscore david thanks again for tuning in this week and as always go niners